welcome to The Sanctuary, a safe space to speak from the heart. I'm your host, Israel, and my guest today is a founder, author. Oh, man, you do so many things. Okay, and Doctor of Clinical Sexology, Dr. Yulinda Renee, thanks for coming to The Sanctuary today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, my God. This has... Taking a little bit longer than I'd love to happen, but I'm glad it's finally happening. Thank you so much for coming. So, what you know, whenever I see someone that's like, you know, has a PhD at the end of their name, I'm like, what do you love so much about learning? Like, no, 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 <laughs> not learning about school because learning is cool, but like, school is so rigid. And did you always want to be a PhD or what happened? Well, I've always been into school. I used to love school, like as a kid, you know, that was my safe space, school, you know, and I was good at it. So I gravitated towards it because I flourished in it up until a point. So that's a whole different story. At some point, it, we weren't getting along as well. But as a as a little girl, I love school. Huh. And then um, did you always know what you wanted to do or how did you get down this career path? Yeah, no, as a kid, I wanted to be a pediatric cardiologist. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> as a kid, I was such a nerd. Wow. Wow. <laughs> but then I also wanted to be a, a singer because I sang back in the day and I wanted to dance. But the serious me wanted to be a cardiatric pediologist. Pedi- a cardiatric pediatrist. That's my dyslexia just kicked in. <laughs> <laughs> So, that was funny. Wow. Where did that, where would that come from? Like, I... so as a kid, like I was, I was the type of kid that would go to the library and take out medical books and study them and write down the definitions and wow. that type of kid. I loved babies. I thought they were super cute. And I don't know how I can't remember how I decided I wanted to be a heart doctor for babies. I think at some point, because I had a friend whose sister had a baby who had heart conditions. Right. Uh-huh. And so I, I'm thinking that played a part in why I chose that route. And I just began to research it. Like I was in a library all the time. Like that was my second home. As I'm thinking about it, talking about it, I'm like, girl. Wow. Wow. <laughs> okay. Okay. And then, um, so, you know, now how I guess you get into school, you're studying, where did now going focusing on sexology come about? So this is where the detour happened with my love for school. So in grammar school, it was easy. I got to high school. I went to a a pretty, it's called selective enrollment here in Chicago, meaning the kids who are smart go to this school. And I realized I wasn't the smartest kid anymore. And that was a hit to the ego. And so I started to try less because I was afraid that if I tried really hard and wasn't number one, if I wasn't number one, then what does that mean? Because my value was attached to my intelligence. So if I'm not the smartest, then what does that mean? Wow. You know, um, so that began my kind of a detour. And then when I went to college, I still wanted to be a doctor. That was still my track. And they basically told me with my grades that you're just average. And I was like, average? <laughs> I was getting C's. I'm like, what is this? And there was some racism at the school I went to. And so I just, I just pivoted because it seemed too hard at mm-hmm. that point. And so I was like, well, I like psychology. I was already taking classes. They were easy for me. So I went from a bio and English major 
in college to a philosophy major. <laughs> and my brother was like, what the hell are you going to do with that? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> so I switched from philosophy to psychology, and then I was taking some criminal justice class. So I ended up graduating with my degree in psychology and criminal justice. Mm. So that was high. No, that was my undergrad. Mm. Um, then I took a break for a while to try and figure myself out. Right, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, then I had this epiphany one day in my little apartment. I had my own apartment for a few months. Um, I was like, I'm going to be a teacher because I love to write and I love philosophy and all of this. And I decided to do that. Took some classes. Um, <laughs> I actually was going to move to Houston to go to school. And then I met a guy. And that's a whole different damn story. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute Chicago after all that time. So right, 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 right. Okay, okay, okay. And and I mean, so you know, you've done your undergrad, you've doing your masters. Mm -hmm. That's enough. You can get a pretty decent job, have a pretty decent life. Why PhD though? The number, the letters, like it was the prestige that we we were told that it meant, right? Like it means something. Um, And I've always been a consumer of knowledge, and I. So it's twofold. It was the prestige, quote unquote. And I just like learning stuff, mm. you know. And so this is my third attempt, right? I, I went to school first for a doctorate in educational leadership. Um, and I did that for a little bit. I'm like, eh, this isn't, it's not, it's not doing it for me. So I left that program and I went to another one for a doctorate in supervision for clinicians. So clinical supervision. And I was like, eh, this isn't doing it for me either. So I stopped that program. And then I sat still for a while. And then I found this program because also backtrack in my private practice, most of my clients, black, white, young, old, whatever, in between had some form of sexual trauma. Mm. That's really was the catalyst. So when I realized that's what was happening, I'm like, well, I should go back to school, get some more skills under my belt so I can better serve this population. Found a school and saw that they offered a doctoral program. Right. And I was already trying to figure out what I want to do. And this doctoral program has some different certifications. And one of them was kink. I'm like, well, that sounds interesting. I'm, I'm intrigued. Let's see what this is about. <laughs> and so I started the program and I graduated February 19th of this year. Wow. How was the program itself? It's good. It's a lot of information. And I actually now work for the school to help them um, with the new students navigate the process. So that was what was kind of missing was having someone to kind of walk the new students through the process. So now that I'm there, it's, it's amazing. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you leaned oh my God, you are a problem. <laughs> it's great now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And um, so, uh, I mean, you, you, sexual trauma is something that's, it's like prevalent, right? And, and and I think now these days is easier to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um with Me Too and everything that's happening in the last couple of years, but it is still difficult for people like black people pretty much, mm-hmm. you know, because it's like we just don't talk about that stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you know, mental health is one thing we don't talk about, but now adding sexual trauma on top is like a whole nother ball game 
and it's usually people you are related to so mm-hmm. like we are not even going to talk about that mm-hmm. you know it's like okay awkward thanksgivings whatever you know mm-hmm. uh, like how is it difficult for you how are you navigating that as a black woman yeah, it's real difficult, especially someone who's attempting to research it, right? And when I was started my process of really looking at the numbers, first I started with Black women, you know, being a Black woman. But even when looking at that, the Black men just aren't represented. Like, there is no date. If you look at Black men and sexual trauma statistics, there, like, aren't any. And for so many reasons, we can go into why that is. Black men aren't reporting, you know, we don't talk about that and black men can't be abused because the more you get the, you know, there's so many different narratives around it, but we're also seeing more men talk about it. Not a whole lot, but there's a few men talking about, Hey, this happened to me and I'm realizing how it's impacted me, my relationships, how I show up even in business. And, you know, and so I want black men to be counted. So Mm -hmm. even in this survey I'm doing, there's been 40 people who have done it so far. I think only three men have completed it. Wow. So that, that lets you know, you know, the numbers. So I'm hoping to get more black men to fill it out so they can be counted and so that resources can be created that meets their specific need. So we have an idea of why it might be difficult, especially for black men to talk mm-hmm. about what are some things you think, you know, just in general can be done to help at least make it easier to talk about? I mean, and it, it starts with the awkwardness of talking about it. But if you have rappers or other celebrities talking about, yeah, I got my son's, you know, topped off for his birthday at 12. It's like, what the what the hell? You know, so it's been normalized that this is OK. Right. Versus them understanding that this is abuse. But if you try and help them understand that this is abuse, doing it in a way so that they don't feel like you're persecuting them because that's what they knew growing up. So if you're doing this with your son and people are like, oh my God, you, you're helping with child abuse and blah, 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 they're going to deflect. They're going to defend because now you're asking them to hold themselves accountable for something they didn't even realize themselves was trauma. So it's just so much to unpack, you know? Mm. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> you know, it's funny because you you you're like, oh, I didn't want to do this because it's difficult. I didn't want to do this because it's difficult. But you are doing what I think is even more difficult than all those things before. Like, why? Yeah. I, I mean, maybe I'm a masochist. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I like pain. Shit, I don't know. <laughs> um, because it's necessary. And I, it's, it's when you get to that point in your life when you really feel like you're on mission. It ain't about you. Mm. And, and I really feel like I've been called to do this work. And sometimes I'm like, you sure? You don't want this back? And like, do the work. I'm like, eh, okay. Mm. <laughs> okay, I guess I'm doing the work. I don't feel like I have a choice. Mm-hmm. Talking about masochism and, and your, uh, let, let me just segue into your book, uh, A Power Exchange uh, with Pain. Mm-hmm. A Power Exchange with Your Pain, yes. Why, why did you decide to write? Obviously, you have so much knowledge and you're sharing it, but why that book? That book, so that was what I created with when I did my dissertation project. So I'm certified in kink consciousness. So part of my training was going to San Francisco, going to different dungeons and parties and everything else. And what I noticed it was in San Francisco, so there weren't a lot of black folks. A, first of all, they're not, you know, they're not a lot of us represented. But also, I saw what looked like a lot of cathartic release, right? 
in these different scenes is like people were releasing pain or having like these experiences of like a therapeutic response. So I'm like, huh, mm. I wonder how we can get some of that. Like, how can we use that to help us release some of this trauma? I know we hold it in our bodies, right? Because mm-hmm. there's just so much going on. So when I began to do my research, my goal was how can or can BDSM be used as a tool to help Black women who have had a history of sexual trauma? Like, can this even be something we can do? And as I started to research it, it seemed like it would be an awesome way for a person to rescript their relationship with their trauma. So really quick example, say you, you were assaulted and a person choked you, right? You can create a scene where you have that the top, the person administering the sensation, gradually put their hand around your neck. But before all of this, you've negotiated what this looked like, what is, you know, my words. And you get to say in real time, stop, pause, less pressure, more, you know what I mean? And you get to, because of this, re-script the memory that has been stored in your head about this trauma. Mm. And now you might like choking after this is all said and done and it's no longer triggering you, right? But it requires you to, come back and look at it again, right? In a way that is safe. So wow. that was the point of the book. So, you know, for for the audience that might not be versed in, in King, BDSM, all that, do you want to give like just a quick primer? Yeah, so BDSM, we'll just talk about what that means. So the B stands for bondage. Um, the D stands for discipline and or dominant. The, a, the S stands for sadomasochism or submission. So that's someone who gets pleasure from administering some form of pain. That could be mental, physical, psychological, whatever, even financial, right? And then the M is the masochist. So that's the person who likes to receive um, some form of pain, again, whether or not that's psychological, physical, or whatever. Um, So that's the overarching definition of BDSM. I came up with therapeutic BDSM is where you use scenes curated specifically to work with your trauma. It's non-sexual scenes, to specifically work with your trauma. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing that. Um, Okay, so you're taking kink and sex and your knowledge and you're putting it together. um, And let's talk about Heal on Purpose. Mm -hmm. Okay, so (laughs) Heal on Purpose has gone through a couple of different changes. Right now, it is my nonprofit, Heal on Purpose, Inc., Originally, it was another LLC I created. I just liked the name. I thought it was cool. <laughs> you know, like, it is a cool name. <laughs> and it was, it became a collective, right? It was a collective of women, Black identified, and it was how can we work together so we're not in silos trying to figure this shit out by ourselves where we can heal our traumas together, right? And so it, it was something we did for like 10 months. We worked together. We did it. And it ran its course. And so I disbanded that and I kind of sat on it. But this nonprofit thing is something I've wanted to do since I got laid off from my job in 2015. Mm. Couldn't figure it out. And so I researched, how can I convert this? Or can I? So I converted the LLC to the nonprofit. And now Heal on Purpose, the nonprofit, is committed to educating, conducting research, and providing some healing modalities for Black folks with a history of sexual trauma. The whole point of the nonprofit is to help us heal from the trauma, going back to freaking slavery or whatever else. Mm, yeah. mm, mm, mm. Um, 
Another thing I got to say, it's like, you know, I mean, Instagram is where I met you and your stories are fun. <laughs> That's an understatement. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, wh- where, where does that come from? Like having this knowledge and sharing it just on, on this massive platform you have. Why is it important to you to share the things today? And especially some really personal things. I'm like, mm, yeah, no, I'd never see that. <laughs> Because that's that reason right there, because most people wouldn't, right? And because of the the realm of social media, how most people are either putting out their highlights or they're telling mm-hmm. you about their trauma or drama after they're already out of it, right? It's like, ooh, back in the day, I went through this, this, and this. Like, but what did it look like? How did you go through it? And mm-hmm. so I feel it is, part, again, part of my mission to be, I say, having the audacity of authenticity, right? having that audacity to show up as my full flawed self in front of everybody and not be attached to how people respond. Mm. That's been a process because sometimes I am attached, right? So I haven't perfected this, right? Um, (laughs) But I started doing the whole social media stuff because when I went from being a therapist into entrepreneurship, that's what you're supposed to do, right? You're supposed to go on social media, you're supposed to do the jazz hands, you're supposed to do all of the things. (laughs) And you always have the coolest t-shirts, man. Jesus. You do. From Target. From Target, the men's department. I'm just saying, that's, where get <laughs> that's where I get them from. Uh, that's where I get them from. But yeah, I did it because at first I had to do it. Mm. And then I realized I was pretty good at it because I had a whole real series. It was it was a whole thing. And then it became less about trying to do what I'm supposed to do. And it came about just doing what makes sense for me. Mm, so mm. you might see a gradual change in how I showed up online. Now I'm just gonna show up. You're just gonna get whatever the hell you're gonna get. <laughs> exactly. Yes. 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 Um, I love. Uh, I love the ones where you you say something and then you end it and then you actually sip your tea. Like, uh huh. I'm just asking, right? I'm just. I'm just asking. <laughs> I love mm-hmm. that one. Um, one of the things is like you've actually highlighted is his self-reconciliation therapy. Do you want to share a bit about that? Yeah. So part of the book I created, well, what came out, so much came out of this dissertation and this project. One of them was the book. The other was a modality called um, self-reconciliation therapy. And so it's a four pillar thing. And it's now for everybody. Start off with black people, but anybody with a history of body-based trauma, specifically sexual trauma can use this. And it's about a first being aware been willing to accept, to attune with the body, and then to atone. And so it's teaching you to first pay attention to yourself. Because most people, especially if you've had body-based trauma, we're not even in our body. We've dissociated a long time ago. We're not paying attention to how our body responds to stimuli. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a lot of times we're not even paying attention to our behaviors. Like, so when you stressed out and you run through McDonald's and you get this meal and then you come home and you drink four pops and then you sit in, like, is that helping you or no? I'm just asking, mm. you know, it's like, mm. let's, let's pay attention. And then you get a headache and now you, your stomach hurt and now you can't get up and go to work. Cause like, you know, let's pay attention and not to judge ourselves, but so that we can make conscious decisions around what makes sense for us. If mm. that doesn't, what would make more sense? So a being aware and then accepting yourself like, oh, yeah, I have been doing these different behaviors. They ain't really been working for me. I'm not going to beat myself up. I'm going to accept that this is where I was at that time. Mm-hmm. And with my acceptance, I give myself permission to do something different. 
That's it. Not you stupid, you dumb, you this, you fat. I'm like, for what? That's not productive. Mm-mm-mm. Wow, 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 wow. Oh, yeah. Another thing you shared that uh, I love was this personal story and journey about bulimia. Mm-hmm. That was, I think, one of the most personal things you've shared on your social media. Uh, what led to that video, actually? Um, What led to that video? I think a lot of me sharing very personal stories is me learning to accept them. Right. So when I think about my the whole awareness acceptance, if I talk about it more, it seems to have less of an impact on me. Like I didn't tell it the world, you know, and so now it's not this dark secret, it's not something I'm hiding. It just is what it is. It's a part of my story. Mm. And I always say, if you accept your story and you tell your story, can't nobody hold that shit over your head. I didn't tell mm. it already. You can't control me with it. It's out there. You know, and so that's part of the reason why I share it. And plus when it comes to eating disorders and stuff like that in the black community, again, we don't no, talk about it. Black folks don't that. have eating disorders. Yeah, mm-hmm. we do. I'm a, I'm one, right? So <laughs> let me be willing to be an example of what this could look like. Mm. Yeah, we don't talk about stuff like that, you know, and uh, it can be, you know, we love food. Mm-hmm. Food is usually how black people say, I love you. Come and eat yep. at my place. But, it, you know, there can also be something. So I, I want to say thank you for sharing that. But I'm not going to let you go without talking about the pole dancing. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm a novice pole dancer, geriatric, if you might want to call it that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you know, you're sharing so much and like how did you get into pole dancing what do you love about it what do you love about sharing the videos of you dancing well i started it because you know (laughs) it's again was me getting comfortable with my body i've always been really comfortable in my more quote-unquote masculine energy i'm gonna go get research you know i'm a go-getter and so when it came to be more in my feminine energy or expressing my sensuality that was more difficult for me to do. So I was, cause I took some twerk classes and all types of stuff. I don't think I put those on there. That's, yeah, I don't know about all that. <laughs> Might keep those in the vault. <laughs> and so I was like, and I thought it would be cool to learn. I mean, that shit is hard though. And I thought mm-hmm. it was a really cool combination of sensuality and strength. Right. Because yes. I lift weights. I do all that. I'm like, damn, this, this, <laughs> this hard. <laughs> but it, it really gave me an appreciation of what my body can do. Mm. Right. And so I wanted to share again why it wasn't just all oh, she's spinning around a pole. It was what does this represent? This represents mm. me really learning to appreciate my body, be in my body and to yeah, just love on her a little bit. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Um, okay. I, I know you have this research going on. Is there any other thing you're working on now? Um, that's the main thing, getting the, um, nonprofit off the ground and, oh, I'm doing pop-up workshops as a way to get donations in. So I'm doing one next week, actually Friday. It's a virtual training for other clinicians. And if you see me closing my eyes, that's my own neurodivergence. I got to close my eyes to focus. <laughs> and so the training is called My Trauma Does My Trauma Doesn't Look the Same. I believe that's the name of it. And it's basically about how does trauma look when it's expressed through Black folks? Because how we express trauma don't look like everybody else. It might not look like the what's in the DSM, right? And so let's explore what it looks like. Because if you're working with Black folks, 
I would like for you to have an understanding of what trauma might look like when we present it. Mm. So you can better help us, like for real. <laughs> yeah, I know, because um, it, it, that's one thing. It's one thing to say, okay, um, to me, steps is like, okay, I have this problem. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to feel comfortable enough to talk to it. Okay, I need to find someone that will understand what I'm talking about because mm-hmm. you know you see it. I, I not knock you on any therapist or psychologist yes. or whatever, but if you just some things that you just won't understand because it isn't something you've experienced or know someone mm-hmm. has experienced it. There's only so much you can learn from books versus. Okay, it might not be my lived experience, but oh, I have that auntie that that thing happened yes. to you know. Yes, exactly. So yeah, it's just to give them some perspective, right? Um, about what does it look like? So that's a training I'm doing next week as part of, you know, getting some funds in. Because I have some big, I got some big dreams. I got some big goals for Heal on Purpose. I eventually want a brick and mortar and it'll have all of the different modalities to, so it could be like a, a, a mecca for black folks to who want to heal. Mm. Come come to the place. In Chicago? <laughs> That's going that's what's going to start cuz that's where I'm at. Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's always fun chatting with you and the work you do is amazing, you know, just um making it easier to say, look, if I a black woman is doing this, sharing this much is it's like it's okay for you to do it and when I, at least I'm talking for myself, see someone that understands or has kind of lived experiences or kind of knows where I'm coming t- from, it makes mm-hmm. it easier for me to express myself. So I want to say thank you for doing that. And also want to say thanks for coming to chat with me today. And I'm going to have you back because I know you're a busy, busy person. <laughs> and I'm always checking your Instagram. I know you have something new coming up. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking to me today, Dr. Yolinda. It's been wonderful. You're, you're, you're a pleasure to talk to. It's fun for me. Mm-hmm.